Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. We are already on the Zoom. Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. What what, what was that? Oh, I haven't slept, David. I've been so anxious to talk about this episode. You've lost sleep over anticipating this. Wow. Uh, And who is this on our Zoom screen joining us for this very special episode? It's Dominic Rothbard. Hi, Dominic. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Are you strapped up, Dominic? Am I strapped up? What's that mean? You got your jock strap on. Oh, that's right. Um, no. Are jock straps good and starchy, I think, is what the question is. It's the finale, and I figured it was go big or go commando. So I went commando. Oh, oh. all right thank, then. Thank you. It's, it's been a long day. <laughs> Yeah, so I I cannot go commando. That is, I just can't do it. It's ugh, you know. It hangs around. It slaps against my knee. It's it's really uncomfortable. Congratulations. I can't all day long. Like like if I were to work that way or something, then by the end of the day, it feels like I got kicked in the nuts. Because I've just I've got these cantaloupes, David. <laughs> like I'm all potatoes and no meat. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, I'm all, boy. I'm, I'm all schnitzel and no Wiener. And our tens of listeners are like, yeah, maybe maybe it is time for the show to be over. I think we are <laughs> I think we might be hitting our limit. Yeah, we're, we're going to spend this episode talking about our balls while this episode <laughs> of The Facts of Life spent it talking about their boobs. Oh, my oh, God. It's, it's, woof. We have a lot to cover and a lot to talk about. And Dominic, if you will in, in, indulge me and sit there uncomfortably while I do a little bit of housekeeping before we Please. get started. First of all, I want to send a special thank you to Alan G from Chicago, who sent a little present to the show through PayPal. It was very sweet. And it's interesting. You can write a message on the, the thing when you send it. And I don't have any way to respond to it. So, uh, Alan, this is really the only way I would write you a written response. But the, I guess the anonymity of PayPal is such that I can't respond to you in writing. And uh, that is definitely a way to contact us. You know, if you want to contact us here at the podcast, doing so through a message through PayPal is a really wonderful way. And we, we highly recommend it. Yeah, because David can't talk back. <laughs> oh, shit. No. And now we see, now we see the violence inherited in the system. Next order of business is we need to welcome, I can't believe I'm saying this, we're welcoming a new Tutti Frutti to the Patreon. Michael A., never too late to be a sponsor of the show. He is now among the family, and Michael has a lot of content there waiting for him. All of the extras from over 100 episodes are still there. Those will not see the light of day. Those will not ever be released into a regular feed or anything like that. And of course, the back catalog of TV Talkaholics. So, hey, Michael A., 
Thanks so much for sponsoring us. Welcome to the family. And speaking of TV Talkaholics, my final order of business is that TV Talkaholics, which is the next podcast, it is now live. It's its own podcast. I've been setting it up as its own separate feed, search or podcatcher. It should be available on all the major platforms by the time this drops and uh, subscribe to it. There's already a little welcome message from me so you can make sure it's working and get ready because this show is going to end. And then as of March 15th, all uh, of the content will go over to TV Talkaholics. I'll start dropping the back catalog one show a week. And uh, you can also find TV Talkaholics on all social media platforms. And uh, I've been setting up the website. It's it's all there. So uh, jump on board now before we start the next journey in mid-March. Okay. Dominic. Yeah. Dominic, 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 Dominic. You had specifically requested that you wanted to be a part of this show. Uh, give us a general thought. I'm not even going to do my nuts and bolts. I'm not doing my anything. So I'm just going to let you give a little talk about why this episode felt important to you. Oh, because it's the uh, it's the beginning of the end. It's uh, good answer. It's... Okay, well, let's move on now to the. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. You had more. I'm sorry. Oh no, I mean that's basically as much thought as uh, the writers put into this episode. So I feel like um, it's, I, I love getting uh, to have a little bit of closure on uh, the facts of life. And I also have a lot to say with how, in my opinion, disrespectfully this show went out. Mm -hmm. um, and just instead of, you know, trying to give any of these characters closure, um, we're busy trying to make money with another backdoor pilot because this show is like some kind of weird sourdough starter that just, you know, you just break it off and another one's going to grow somewhere. Um, and uh, and I feel like the amount of thought, I mean, like I actually did not skip ahead to watch the, the part two. Um, oh, you didn't? Oh. I didn't want to have stuff that I did not, uh, was not going to be talking about in my head um and because my head is jumbled as it is so uh so i watched this episode three times without <gasps> any of the closure um and uh my god like do they how much of the original girls are in the next episode barely it's an after if you're disappointed at the sort of beginning of closure that they're trying to give the existing cast here you're gonna be doubly disappointed next week because it's it is shockingly scant that's how i remember it i remembered it being and and i haven't seen it in a bit because when i started um uh doing the similar venture that you did uh you know chronicling our, my journey through the facts of life um i vowed not to skip ahead and so i it's been a long time since i have seen the actual finale and uh, what I remember is that part one had some of the girls and then part two was like all about these new characters, all about the boys meshing with the girls and some kind of arbitrary drama. I don't we you know, we don't have to get into it here, but uh, I remember there being less of the girls in the next part. And that's insane because they were hardly in this. 
Beverly Ann's monologue about her literally just reading a grocery list without a punchline. Just like that's how you're going to do Cloris Leachman, who stepped in. And and I know you guys have mixed feelings about her, but like, you know, she tried her damn best. And that's what you're going to give her is a grocery list without a punchline. Yeah. And no. did you watch the, the DVD version? Unfortunately, no, I was unable to. Um, oh, OK. There is a little tiny bit more that they did give her uh, a bit where with Joe and Tootie looking for the apartment, Beverly Ann says, oh, here's one. It's got two burr, three bibs, th 17 flip-flops. Oh, it doesn't have a gerfloop-boop. You know, a stupid bit of her trying to read all the silly abbreviations in classified okay, so real they estate. Gave, they gave her one more bit, one more Beverly Ann bit. Okay, yeah. at least they did that. Equally uh, as oh. unsatisfying, and but it is there. That is a little bit that is cut from syndication. I apologize. In the time since we last saw every... Um, drive that plays dvds stopped working in my life and so at the last minute i ended up having to just give up trying to get my external drive to play it would just spin and then i and i ended up watching the one online and so um if there's other stuff please clue me in because i'm always interested to know what they cut out most of the other cuts are nips and tucks the only other uh, moment i can think of we'll just kind of get this out of the way right here right now is uh when Joe shows up at the office and Blair has to do some negotiating between the characters of Sarah and Mayim Bialik. When they're talking about, well, take, for example, me and this is Joe and I live with her and we have difficulty working together. A lot of that was cut out where she says, Joe drives me crazy because she snores. And Joe was like, I do not. She twirls her hair all the time. She just stands there twirling it and twirling it. And that's missing. But then at the end of the scene, the button of the scene is Joe saying, look to me like you handled that. And Blair goes, oh, huh, yes, I kind of guess I did. As she twirls her hair and Joe says, cut it out. Yes. Thank you. You have solved a mystery to me. I watched that damn thing three times and I was like, what is that? Mm -hmm. I figured that that would be a moment of confusion. And typically the show is good about the the reruns. <laughs> They've proven that there's always a lot of fat in every episode where they can trim out little itty bitty bits and pieces without it affecting the bigger story. But more and more, particularly in season nine, where I think, again, they just don't give a fuck. They're cutting out stuff in the beginning half of the episode where there's a callback to it later. And it's like, but it doesn't make sense now. Disrespectful, disrespectful. Thank you. They deserved better. We're of course talking about season nine, episode 23, the beginning of the end, which had an original air date of April 30th of 1988. Matthew, what are your initial thoughts about the show? Oof. <laughs> and that says it all. And I love Blair. And if I was going to watch a backdoor pilot or a sitcom with any of the girls, it would have been Blair. Mm hmm. But mm. yeah, her performance it have been here. Natalie and her bohemian lifestyle. Oh, we would have watched that, too. Yeah, I would have watched it. But this would have been like my oh, my God, Blair alone. Yeah. I don't have to deal with anybody else. And if ever there's a question whether Lisa Welchel has the chops and whether she could carry a show on her own, I think the answer is unequivocally yes. But yeah. like any show, the strongest performer is only as good as the supporting cast. 
they're called a supporting cast for a reason. They need to support the lead. And she did not have much helping her here. There's just some big names in this cast, but they gave so many um, lines to that guy, that smarmy guy. Like, were they going to like make them a couple in the spinoff? Like, oof. Hmm. You think? Oh, they hate each other. Oh, no. How will they ever work together? I'll have to tune in next week. Again, you need, if it's a will they or won't they, it has to be an appealing one. This is on the level of Mr. fucking, what was it? Not Mr. Bradley. Is it Mr. Cat? Oh, oh, that's right, Mr. Tomcat. Yes, same thing. In that episode, I was thinking way back to season one with Miss Mahoney and Mr. Mr. Oh. Bradley. Is that I, I literally can't even remember his name? That's how long ago it was. Mr. Bradley, right? That was Mr. Bradley, followed by Mr. Okay. Parker. Mr. Bradley and his nipples in that one episode. Oh, yeah, that's true. Very true. Well, let's do some facts facts here. I will try to get through them quickly. I've discovered as I've been re-listening to the more recent episodes, I'm like, oh, these facts facts uh, talk about adding an, another anchor to a fucking sinking ship. I, I'm sorry. I'm just going to apologize right now. Good God, do I get lost, particularly in researching the actors and the people performing. So I have I have a novella worth of stuff here about the cast, and I promise you I am not going to do it. Give me some fast facts. Yes. Well, we call this the two-part series finale, but it is not technically two parts as in a part one, part two title. It does have a to be continued at the end of this first half, and I'm not sure it's completely necessary. This never broadcast as a one-hour special. It was always in two parts shown over two weeks. And uh, if having not watched part two, Dominic, as you said, part two really can stand alone. This is the setup for the new series. This is truly the backdoor pilot. Next week is really them trying to show us, okay, and this is kind of what uh, an everyday episode would be like just throwing that out there that the ending of this really could have just been the ending of the episode without the to be continued and the second fact fact is that we have so so many guest stars on this episode it is a cast of thousands many future stars and I'm just going to list their names. I'm not going to tell you anything more about their careers. If you want to know about their careers, if you don't recognize these names, Google it. Who am I? Your fucking mother? Oh, Jesus. If, if you're listening to this podcast, you know who Maya Bialik is. Yes. You know who Juliet Lewis is. Mm. Though you may not know Maya Bialik was 12 years old at the time. Uh, <laughs> Juliet Lewis? 15 years old. Jesus Christ. Here we go. Get a, get your shovel. Seth Green, 14 years old. Getting deeper. As well as the final performance of Nicholas Coster as David Warner, Blair's dad. We have Kathleen Freeman as Noreen Grisby, the secretary. I forgot she was in this. I loved her in this. Um... The part of Ashley Payne was played by Meredith Scott Lynn. She's not nearly as famous as the others, but she's got other stuff going on. Mr. Mitchell, the other teacher, the science teacher, who is just a fucking dickbag. 
God, I hate him so much, was played by actor Sam Behrens. And Mr. Frank Payne, the banker, was played by Sal Viscuso. And I kept going, who the fuck is that? Who is this guy? How do I know him? He was Father Tim Flotsky on Soap. That's all I'm going to say. Let's do some nuts and bolts. You ready for some nuts? Yeah, we've got ours out. We've already said that. <laughs> we've already been discussing them. Let's. We've been talking about our nuts. Let's talk about the bolts. This was written by Austin and Irma Kalish. They both collaborated and they both wrote both parts. For Austin, this is the third of four episodes, fourth being next week. And for Irma, this is her fourth of five, number five being next week. Irma's the executive producer, and I believe she's at this point the showrunner. Like she is the, the creative voice of the entire series at this point. Previously, she had written Where's Papa in season eight. And together they wrote Boy About the House in season eight, Up From Down Under in season nine, and then this one and next week. And the episode was directed by uh, uh, introducing John Boab as the director, this, this new guy we've never heard of before. I've got some notes for John. Oh, do oh good. I cannot wait. Uh, okay. Can we get a little history on John Boab? No. 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 No, Just we cannot. Kidding. There was a time I did. There was one episode where I went, we've never talked about him. And so, and, and I literally, I don't remember like what his history is or whatever, but all right, Dominic, you knew this was coming. This is the it's time it. when we put our guest on the spot and ask you to provide a one or two sentence synopsis of the entire episode, similar to a listing you might find in TV Guide. Ready, set, go. Blair arbitrarily buys Eastland School to the mm, indifference of everyone around her. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the, the indifference is kind of shocking. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is I, I have a lot of felts to be field about many things in this episode. So many things. And I started writing them and writing them as I put big questions. Like they weren't just questions about, you know, why is Tootie wearing glasses in the first scene when we have never, ever, ever, ever seen Tootie wearing corrective glasses, nor fashion frames, ever. That's a little question. I have so many big questions and, and I keep having them throughout this. So when we begin the scene, go figure, we're in the living room. I know, shock of all shocks, get up off the floor. We're in the living room. Tootie and Joe are both looking at the newspaper and we find that they're trying to look for an apartment for Joe and Rick. Now, we do have that bit I mentioned cut from syndication with Beverly Ann. Uh, Natalie comes in planning her move to Soho, asking what she can take with her, trying to see if she can sneak something by like the TV set. Is it? Is the TV the thing, the big thing that she says? Well, if you don't ask, you never know microwave tv microwave and one other thing stereo. Uh, and stereo. stereo and the audience yeah. just goes <laughs> like the audience <laughs> really didn't like that joke it was it was awkward i felt it well natalie's ethics uh, over the past nine years have dictated that it's really out of character for her to even be asking them this that she would have just taken them but 
Anyhow, we wondered last week in Big Apple Blues, was the intention for Natalie to go and live there or was the intention to spin the show off without her? And at this point, according to this and next week's show, it's like, oh, no, no, she is going to Soto and she is there next week. So apparently they were thinking that's where she was going to end up. I was right. You were right. Absolutely. You were right. And uh, I think what Ken was wrong and I, I conveniently straddled the fence there so that I don't have to admit to either. That's unlike you. Yeah. Usually not versatile like that. Mm hmm. I would watch the hell out of the Natalie show. It's basically Friends. It, yes, we talked about it at length. It, yes, we're like, we thought it was Friends and it could have been better than Friends because all of them were struggling. And that would have been infinitely more interesting. I agree. It's, it's weird that they made, and I know that you prefer Blair, and I do as an I love them both. Um, but I feel like... Um, this was a show, although that was a show I would watch. And this is a show that at at this age, I was nine at the time that this aired. And I was like, this is a little young for me. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I would have stuck with the the Natalie show, I think. I, I probably would have gotten bored with the Blair show, honestly. Yeah. But I would love to see a Blair show, but I'd rather it be like she just inherited daddy's company or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Just kill off David Warner in the finale. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Don't kill David Warner. We like him. But we'll, no, we'll talk course. about I him just, when we get to him. Just just trying so, to give her a spinoff that made more sense than this one. Uh, agreed. Yeah. So then Blair comes in and saying that this is the, the saddest thing she's ever heard is that Eastland is broke. Now, we did allude to this a couple weeks ago. Pippa mentioned they were cutting back on the music program and other things. So this was a little seedling that they did drop. And now uh, with Eastland broke and like like you said, Dominic, to the indifference of the others, it's like, oh, well, tough shit. That's that's the breaks. Life sucks. Bye. I'm going to the supermarket. And then Beverly Ann, her big comedic turn of I need wheat germ, bean curd, tofu and drain cleaner. And well, well let me just come with you. That's that's literally the only line of hers that remains in this edited rerun version. So we're still doing this. Beverly Ann eats weird, healthy foods. It, and maybe drain cleaner. And, or and, and like, drain cleaner. Is, is, is it that like eating all the healthy foods is really stopping up her toilet and that's why she needs the drain cleaner? I wondered if it was a poop joke. Well, what's the implication? The idea that all this stuff makes me shit so much that the toilet's clogged. I... I I did. I had to admit, I went there. Then Pippa and Andy come in and Blair says to, to the two of them, I'm so sorry to hear about Eastland. And Andy, thinking she's talking to him and not Pippa, Andy drops a big bit of information that we've discussed so many, 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 many times. He says, yeah, 200 girls are going to be leaving town. That's not my idea of a fun puberty. We did have this information. I did look ahead and find it. So we have talked about this in the past, but this is the first, last, and only time ever in nine years that it is stated how large the student body of Eastland is. Because we're like, they work in the cafeteria, four girls helping Mrs. Garrett in the cafeteria. Howard wasn't there for very long, so he wasn't there to help out. We're like, how many students are they feeding? Are they feeding... 40 or 4,000. 
and what, ni 19 people at the graduation. Yeah. And these 200 girls, remember, this is sixth grade through high school graduation. So it's technically, what, that's seven years? Six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. That's seven years. So if you do the math, that's 28 and a half students per grade. So, I mean, maybe that does check out, but. I don't remember seeing the half girl. <laughs> it, well, she was the dwarf student and the camera was on Blair and Joe. It was, it was below the camera line. But she was underneath the sight line of the camera. That makes uh, sense. So anyhow, that's an important moment <laughs> and an important bit of information. And it's like, okay, after nine years, now you tell us, now we finally find out. But just thrilled to have that information though. Yeah, at least we had it. And I, I'm pleased that I did find it out earlier that uh, we didn't wait till now to find out because I, I was it was driving me crazy. So Blair says she's not going to give up without a fight. She's going to do whatever she has to do to try to save their alma mater. Tootie is like, yeah, that's cool. I'll totally help you uh, unless I leave town. And Blair's like, why would you be leaving town? And Tootie's like, I can't say. So... Blair says, well, regardless, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. She says, I think whatever it takes. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts so far? I mean, I was I was the happiest during this scene out of all the scenes because all, all <laughs> the girls were there. Uh, it's still a terrible scene, but nobody mentioned boobs. So there's that going for it. I, I have so many questions about Tootie. Uh, as somebody who did not get to watch the uh, second part, uh, I'm curious how it's resolved, if at all. It is, thankfully. Good, good. I, I figured it had to be because that was a hard setup. But it, I just, it just, I remember them like hardly being in the next episode. So, um, it is. Matthew, yeah. what are your thoughts about this scene? So, um, I wrote, "Get the fuck out of here with those glasses, Judy." <laughs> Um, Go put on a hat, bitch. <laughs> and you said earlier they did Beverly Ann dirty with, you know, the, her lines. I think they did her dirtier with that perm. <laughs> that fucking 80s asymmetrical razor cut in the back perm. Yeah, her her sort of spiky do, which had been growing out into a bowl cut, is now this this nest of curls on her head and uh, oof. I made it. Well, of course it's Chloris and it's 88. She made it work, but I love Blair, but I'm sorry. I'm not on board. I could give a shit less about my alma mama. I don't know about you. Like I, I agree. If somebody came to you and said, they're tearing down your high school. I would be like, hallelujah. Oh no. I, don't care. Uh, I'm with you, Matthew. I don't care at all. I'm in agreement as well. I can't relate to her emotional and financial investment here. It makes no sense. It's frustrating to see the character that we, uh, you know, a character that we love so much in this like final gasps of life, not making any sense and betraying who she really is. Mm -hmm. and, and and if it's so and I thought well if it's so important for because it's an all girls school and five generations of your family Blair have gone there maybe ask your mom not your dad uh, hello Monica's got her own money yes she might have felt a little more 
app to to help with that or something, you know, but she should have called up Fudge. I would have loved to see Fudge one last time, <laughs> but I was happy to see Blair's dad. But David, most importantly, in this first scene, we have Andy saying the word puberty. Oh, <laughs> which Matthew hates the word puberty. <sighs> but the first, and I guess an only really, well, not the only, but the first punchable Pippa moment for Matthew when she says, oh, I'm sad. I've made heaps of mates here. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. No. It's been your whole character arc this whole season to give you something to do was to find ways to meet people and be popular. You have not made heaps of mates here. It's true. And even when we see one student interact with her, she's so obnoxious to her. She's like mocking her to her face. Oh, is this your mom? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Ugh. so a little pip of my first punchable pip a moment. <laughs> and I will start my rant here by piggybacking <laughs> on that, where they say, Well, shit, if Eastland closes down, Pippa, what are you going to do? And she just says, Ow, oh, I'll just transfer to another school. Okay, that's pretty generic. It's not like I'll transfer over to such and such. It's just, wow, yeah. uh, I'm going to go like, to a school somewhere. I know, like, add some stakes here. Like, Pippa, you, I know we don't care about you that much, but, like, are you going back to Australia? Why don't you, why don't you say that? Why don't you say, I'll probably have to go back to Australia. Then Blair could be like, God damn it, like, we can't do this to Pippa. I got to yeah. buy this school. And I'd hey, be like, it would have been know, something. a little bit more sense, even though we all don't really care about Pippa. It's, yeah, it makes more sense than the school. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I I'm heated about. I that. agree with you. That's at least that's something. Yeah. Well, I'm going to continue now with what I call big questions. Here are my big questions. Cut from syndication. Tootie does mention in passing. She and Jeff are also going to at some point be living together, and what they are going to be looking for in in an apartment when they get married. So Tootie. Future plans to move out. Joe, actively looking for an apartment for her and her husband. Okay. Tootie also may be leaving the country. Pippa will have to transfer schools. Where is that? Natalie is going to Soho. So at this point, my big question is, Beverly Ann and Blair are the only people left living at the house in a very short period of time. Yes, we have Pippa and Andy, and Pippa may be going. What is the situation with this house? How do they pay rent? How do they eat? When they closed down over our heads, that was the only app running in the background that we could kind of just assume was generating some type of income on which they were at the very least able to pay their rent and fucking utility bill. But Beverly Ann doesn't work. If Beverly Ann had a job or was looking for a job, that could have been something that would have been an interesting storyline to give Cloris is have her looking for a job. Because what the fuck is she doing there? How are they affording this house? Is Raymond just letting them live there for free? He charged his own fucking mother rent back in season five and six. And bitch torched the place on him when the drug lords were coming after her. <laughs> 
So my thing is the big question, which I've always asked is, what is the arrangement of the house, of the paying rent, of what they earn, how they earn, the division of labor and all that stuff? There are no answers. I'm just throwing this out saying, all this is doing now is making that big nebulous question mark into a bigger, more nebulous. What the fuck is happening? I think I'm done. You bring up very good points, David. You do. But and I, I did think of that in the next scene when she's trying to get the loan and he's like, occupation, law student. Ding, 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 ding. That was, that is in my big questions coming up also. But yes, it's like, so uh, the, well, well let's, let's, let's piggyback this on as we continue through it. Uh, the next scene is Blair and her dad, David Warner, Nicholas Coster. Great scene. God, their chemistry is magnificent. I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. If he could have come back in, if this show had taken off, if they could have periodically brought him back, that would have been great. Uh, but yeah, he starts the scene. The scene starts late in the conversation, but it's perfect where he says, I'm going to say a word to you that you've never heard me say before. No, you're an adult now. You need to take responsibility. And uh, it's it's kind of a wonderful thing. You know, Blair at this point is 23 years old. She's a graduate student. She's a college grad. So it's not nuts for him to say girl you do know you can't call me the rest of your life so this is where the thing comes up where we've never heard of this grandmother's trust fund i guess she's been living off of dad's money but grandmother's trust fund is the nest egg that she divulges here is where she was planning to use that money to open her own law firm well you ain't opening a law firm now because number one you're going to use that money to buy eastland and secondly how the fuck are you going to continue going to law school when you're running Eastland. Was that just going to be put on the back burner? That's never, ever addressed. She's giving up everything she's worked for. Another missed opportunity in this episode mm -hmm. of, her, of her actually having to think about. I get that they tried to make it a cutesy scene where Blair wasn't getting her way, but like I felt like um, David Warner was kind of the writing wasn't there for him, but I think he understood the assignment and the way he spoke to her about, you can have one or the other, you know, this, it's either this or this, and you can't have both. And I wish they had gotten a little deeper into that, where she's like, this is everything I've always wanted to be. I never wanted to be a owner of a school, you know, I, I wanted her to be, again, another missed opportunity, talking this over with the girls you have lived with for eight years, other than they're getting down our alma mater. Yep. It's, that was it. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, yes, that ties in beautifully. Any other, anything else with the with the Blair and dad scene that we want to talk about before we move on? No, he's just so goddamn handsome. Uh, but yes, no, Nicholas Coster, bravo, sir. Great career, still an active concern. <laughs> So then we go to the scene at the bank where Blair is talking to a loan officer and thankfully he states the problem right up front. So you're telling me you bought a bankrupt school and now you want a loan to keep it running. So this is Blair not just giving up her, her nest egg, we presume her law studies, now it's she's going into debt and gonna have to make payments on a loan that she has to keep up with. These things all could have 
been kind of magnified a little bit. But like also like the turn that that banker made is insane. I mean, we talk about like no depth, nothing, just so her story that she offers like, oh, you know, when my dad was my age, he was turned down for a loan. But another banker turned him up for a loan. <laughs> What's the opposite? <laughs> allowed him to have a loan, and the banker that banker is very rich today. And then she's like, well, "And where's the other banker today?" This is a multiple choice question. Yeah, it's like that. That doesn't even. That's not threatening. It do, it's not even coherent. And he just immediately crumbles under that. Like loan approved, approved. painful, <laughs> painful, bad, really bad moment. Low point in the episode for me was her getting this loan approved by barely even thinking on her feet. Yeah. yeah. And here's my do- here's my daughter's headshot. Oh, thank uh, you. I have that in my notes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, my daughter Ashley goes to the school and he picks up her photo. It is clearly the headshot of the actress. We love anytime they do that. So, um I did have a big question of is buying a school a thing? But when I Googled it, that is, I guess that can be a thing, but it does also need to have a board of trustees like a private school. Here's where the turn should have been. Blair should have said to him, oh, your daughter goes to the school and you're the head of the board of trustees. Great. Then you have a great stake in keeping the school open. And I think my first order of business is going to be figuring out who screwed up that we are now bankrupt, because clearly it had to have been decisions that the board made that got you into this mess. Yeah, that sounds much more believable. Scene by scene, we're going to rewrite this turd. Yeah. Or, or well, my first order of business is to figure out just where the Board of Trustees failed Eastland so, so terribly and decide who is to be blamed and whom should be punished. And my first order of business is going to be who amongst the Facts of Life writing staff failed so hard that we all had to be punished and watch this episode. Boys. What? You are writing an episode of Lost, for Christ's sake. (laughs) This is a goddamn 80s sitcom. Yeah, but like, I believe these characters' motivations most of the time. And uh, and this is just, just these giant leaps just to get us to backdoor pilot them. Like, rather than, like, you know, making nuanced choices maybe three episodes ago that led us here, it was just like, all right, the end of the episode, the end of the series, let's just dunk it in cold water and change its temperature. It's very weird. At the end of 23 minutes, we believed that Alice the maid had a twin cousin (laughs) that looked exactly like her and was completely opposite of her. At the end of 23 minutes, we believed that (laughs) B. Arthur fell in love with Leslie Nielsen and married him. Yeah. So we just, it's, I hate to bring it. I'm going to say it. Where's your sense of whimsy, boys? Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Sometimes rich girls buy schools. All right? That's all you need to know. Okay, sure. Why not? It's Blair. So speaking of schools, we now move over to the Eastland School, and we have an exterior shot 
it's not a shot of the dorm that we saw back in season one. It's a different building, but they picked a good exterior covered in ivy with French doors. It absolutely looks like a sister building on the same campus. It totally evoked the sense of season. Because remember, even in season two, we never saw that exterior. Season one overused it. It was gone by the time Joe got there. So uh, it was like, wow, going back to the greenery and the building, it was like, holy shit, this is a blast from the past, isn't it? But if you hadn't just spent four years watching these episodes and only had a memory of that season one exterior shot, it was believable enough that like, I kind of had to look twice at it. I was like, oh my God, did they pull out that same exterior shot from season <laughs> one? They so. should have had that, that dinky organ music that's like oh. it was it was close enough that uh, the and the dorm was close enough. Next week, the exterior shot of the dorm when they're in the dorm, that is the same exterior shot from season one. It is unchanged. Okay. This is the exterior of the, I guess, the administrative offices where we never really went. So so yeah, what I'm saying is this is all good. This is good that they're showing us a building that makes us think, okay, we're back in the Eastland campus. So uh, that's one of the few things I'm okay with. So now we're in the sort of outside of the headmaster's office. We meet Mrs. Grisby, the wonderful Kathleen Freeman. And we also see two female students who are there sitting waiting to be seen because they need to have some discipline administered. And Blair ends up having to sit on the bench and wait with them to see the headmaster because no one realizes how important she is just yet. Um, the two girls are in school uniforms, but they're wearing the burgundy vests and the burgundy skirts. The ties used to be blue. Now the ties are burgundy. Used to be that you wore the burgundy tie when you wore the blue cardigan. So Diana Eden took some liberties here where now everybody wears burgundy ties all the time. And uh, I just want to point that out. Nobody is wearing a blue blazer, though. That still is exclusively Blair's from season four or whatever the fuck it is. But what we quickly learn from these two girls, played by Mayim Bialik and Juliette Lewis, is that Juliette Lewis is uh, an underachiever. What do they say that she's there for? She cut class again. Cut class, that's right. And yeah, and then Jennifer, the character, it's Terry and Jennifer, is Juliet Lewis and Mayim Bialik. Mayim Bialik is there because she is... her boobs are uneven. She Her boobs are massive, and clearly fake, and very uneven. Lumpy, and, one might say. Uh, lumpy. And when Blair looks at her, her first line in the series, her first line, did I over-boob? I mean, not the worst first line. I mean, yeah, but it's one of those where... This is one thing of many where, okay, we're starting to reincorporate elements from season one. And I think they forgot that season one was um, awful. And one of the regular things was Tootie talking about Nita. Oh, I don't have my boobs. I don't have my boobs. So uh, the fact that this is even more fixated on in this and next week, is it's a little upsetting. Again, all this focus on the body of a 13-year-old girl and... Ugh. Can we just, I'm sorry, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. It is 2023. Can we not call them boobs? Can we call them hooters? Yes. Happy the way we're to. supposed to? All right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, later she does. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Very true. Yeah, I, just, are... I know it's later, but I just like I feel more comfortable using the correct terminology. Yeah, we are progressive and woke, middle-aged white cisgender men. Yes. Then the asshole teacher comes in. I'm just going to call him the fucking, the asshole. Fuck this guy, Mr. Mitchell. This fucking shit stain. God, what an asshole. Fuck, I hated him. Somebody talk about him. T- t- I-, I can't even. I, uh... ah, he's disgusting. I, I just, uh, he made me so angry the way he immediately ogled Blair and talked about the, what was it? That, was it a bimbo that he said? Uh, an airheaded debutante has bought the school. Yeah. Oh, are you here right. to apply for a teaching position? You know what? Walk away. You're probably not going to be interested because some airheaded debutante bought the school. So, hey, want to get together later and fuck? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, if she gets the job, can you put a parking space next to mine so I can do what? What are you going to do in the garage? You pervert. You gross. Stay away from Blair. I hate you. Any thoughts, Matthew? No. The thing is, this is starting this will they or won't they. This guy clearly was going to be set up as being the possible love interest, where right now they don't get along, but eventually they will get along. That's fine. That's okay. If it was, I'm the world-weary science teacher. I'm not just the science teacher. I'm the whole fucking department because we're short-staffed. And therefore, he just doesn't have time for the bullshit and now this is happening. Come on, this isn't going to fix anything. What What are you doing, lady? It would be fine if he were the naysayer. We could get past that if eventually she won him over. But the constant and never-ending, look, why don't you just sell the school to someone else and go out with me? Well, gee, you weren't very wishy-washy in making that decision. I hope you're the same on our first date. The amount of lecherous, shitty fucking cis male misogynistic fuckery that comes out of his mouth i, I, I clearly you, it, it just it filled me with a rage and then just the last fact rubs the salt in the wound yeah and 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 that they wrote him this way as though oh well it's all going to turn around and she and him are going to fall in love and they're going to this is the new sam and diane on nbc no it's not he is a fucking dick bag. Any other comments about that scene, gentlemen? No. I have no interest in discussing it any further. No. And then Blair goes into Mr. Moorhead, who is the current headmaster, to find he is packing up everything. This was very funny, I thought. Packing up everything that is not nailed down, including his phone, including everything. And... Uh, we do have a tiny little show Bible moment where Blair says, come on, would Jeremiah Eastland have quit? And he says, Jeremiah Eastland died at his desk. I'm taking a fucking vacation, lady. And it's like, we never ever talked about that the school was named after a person, did we? That I think is new information. At this stage of the game, we're learning new things about Eastland. You know what? It made me laugh. It was one of the few things that made me laugh. And I don't think it was intentional, but just the fact that they pulled out the name Jeremiah Eastland yeah. was so stupid. Like, I, I agree. No, no, this was clearly built on an east part of land. And that's yeah. why it's that school. Come on. Yeah. And they keep saying upstate New York. On more than one occasion, they refer to upstate New York. And it's like, 
I don't know. I, I could be wrong. To me, upstate New York is like Syracuse and getting, you know, all, you know, Albany and north Albany, of that. Yeah. And all that. I'm not sure Peekskill. Peekskill is only an hour north of Manhattan. I feel like this is what we've said many times. These are Californians, you, you Dominic, you Californians who don't understand the geography of other parts of the country. You understand that I grew up in New York, right? That's where I'm from. Uh-huh. So you tell me then, is Peekskill uh, considered upstate New York? Honestly, this was a debate between me and Britt. Both of us are from New York, and I... Uh, I consider it upstate, not very far upstate, but like the lowest upstate that you can get and still qualify as upstate. She does not think it's upstate enough to be considered upstate. And I can understand that argument. I'm going to sit firmly on the fence. Okay. (laughs) Well, good. No, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. And the thing I like about the Jeremiah Eastland, you know, more than anything is it does not contradict anything that we've stated before. That's the thing, including the fact that they talk about 100 years of of legacy, that the school is 100 years old. Uh, I don't think we've ever talked about how long it's been there, other than we know Blair and her parents went there, that there's a well, legacy. I mean, we know because the show's been on for 100 years at this point, so we know it's at least that. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. And so at the very end, he goes out. Blair is left all alone in the office. And (laughs) Mrs. Grisby says, don't forget, you got the two kids out here to discipline and you've got complaining parents on lines one, two and three. And this final wide shot of Blair alone in this half empty office, her final word before the commercial is, I don't have a phone. That worked for me. And directorially, yeah, I, I was like, okay, John Boop, putting her center frame, big wide shot, showing how alone she is in the moment. I will give you props for that. Do you have any directorial things, Matthew? You talked about directorial things. The first half of the show. I'm going to take away your props for for John Boop as I discuss the prop fail. <gasps> okay. You didn't see when he picked up the lamp? Something fell off of it, didn't Something it? Something fell off of it. And nobody was like, let's take it again. The prop yeah. broke. The prop came apart. He was like, Ugh. And didn't even pick it up. Didn't grab it on the way out. Yeah, I did notice that. And I just was like, par for the course. And we're going to be out of here by six tonight, you guys. So, yeah. Well, Who was no. it that said somebody, was it, was it Tim Williams or was it? One of our guests said, words never spoken on the Facts of Life soundstage. Yeah, let's take that again. I think we can do it better. Yeah. Never spoken. Especially not at this point. Yeah, not at this stage. They're like, we're out the fucking door, please. We're getting our next job lined up. Yeah. Now we come back from commercial, and we have a a big question, a big what in the actual fuck question, where the first image is Blair removing this portrait from behind the desk, which we assume is Jeremiah. I think she even indicates him when she's talking to the dude about the legacy and the school and all that. And she's putting up a painted portrait of herself in like debutante garb from 1962 with a beehive and an off the shoulder. It's like, wait, where in the fuck did this picture come from? And what Blair Warner is that that we're looking at in this picture? Did you guys have any thoughts about this? It was startlingly bizarre. 
They made that prop. They made that. I thought it was season five Blair. Um, more than anything, I thought. But <laughs> I maybe mean, they had it from like a cutout subplot somewhere along the line. Again, you'd have to think about logistics of not just that this painting exists is weird. It's like, where did it come from? Where would she have gotten it? She wouldn't have had time to send for it from her parents' house in New York, wherever the fuck her parents live. She didn't have it at the house with her because it would have burned up in the fire when Edna's edibles burned down. So just why does she have this and how does it still exist? And what was the purpose of it? Because what was the purpose of it? That's what you needed clarification on <laughs> that is the of all the things wrong with this episode that's the big problem <laughs> okay we'll we'll just move on we don't need to talk about it anymore that's fine so the asshole teacher comes in they have another little sparring and she does get a zinger in on him that's good there the sparks are flying it's like watching spencer tracy and katherine hepburn it was such a shitty zinger it was like she set herself up and he fell for it for no reason. Like when she was like, I too always get teary eyed when I see a dumb animal who speaks that way. Who, yeah. wh- wh- when would Blair ever refer to any animal as a dumb animal, even in the colloquial sense, that's still like so old timey for Blair. She just says that. And then the sniff and the audience applauds shameful it's like you gave a bunch of starving people like one slice of roast beef and they all just tore each other apart it's insane i'm i'm surprised you didn't have a shit fit over the lighting in this in this scene david oh talk to me i didn't even notice i was so upset by that portrait shadows all over each other for god's sake and like when he walks in isn't this the scene where he walks in and goes who is the headmaster? And she goes, mm, like that or something. You've got the wonderful Kathleen Freeman. You film her from the back. Yeah. You don't you don't direct her to say, why don't you look over the shoulder and give a look? No, I just need to see your thumb here, Kathleen. Don't turn around. <laughs> was that was that her lighting double or something? <laughs> I just I thought, what why wouldn't you give her a facial expression? She's got that face. For God's sake. Agreed. She came up doing the Jerry Lewis comedies and stuff. Bitch knows how to do a comedy if you can hold her own with Jerry fucking Lewis. So I just, I had a problem with that directorially lighting wise. I was like, you've got Kathleen and you give her, you give her a gesture, not a, and not even with her face in it. It just killed me. Yeah. So next thing that happens in Blair's office is a young girl comes in. A young girl dressed like baby Jane Hudson. And this is not a girl. It's a very, very terrible attempt to disguise oneself as a girl. Calls herself Eve, which I think is funny as hell when we learn that it's actually Seth Green, whose name is Adam. (laughs) So uh, he wants to start going to the Eastland School. And she's like, oh, really? And uh, so this little girl is like, yeah, I really want to come here. So Blair, who's not buying it, no one's being fooled by this. She says, we'll have to submit you to the physical. And she says, nope, uh, okay. We're going to have to poke your vagina. Like she basically just said that. Like we're going to have to make sure your vagina is working and then we'll be fine. Going to poke your cooter to make sure it works. Yep. 
So what was uh, Eve's last name? It was like Crumble Dump or something funny. Oh, it was it was his actual name. It was you know it was. Oh, that was um, his real last name. It was a ridiculous last name. It is Brinkerhoff. There you go. That's a that's a very complicated name. When you have the other last names are Payne, Glover, Rankin, Grisby, Cole, Brinkerhoff. It's like oh okay, that that must be the name of somebody's writing partner or their pastor or something. That's a prop but, guy. Mm, yeah. But what we learn is that Seth Green wants to come here because he's been kicked out of every school in upstate New York, quote unquote, upstate New York. And this is his last chance before military school. And Blair says, well, sorry, you're a boy. This is a girl's school. Go fuck yourself. Bye bye. Now, isn't Bates a military academy? Yeah, I was assuming that was the also one that he had been kicked out of. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Stone. Stone is the military. Bates is the preppy academy. Stone is the military academy they tried thank to spin you, thank off. You, thank you. Yes. But I, I thought about that too, Dominic, and I just assumed that was one of the schools he had been kicked out of. Oh, see, because he had talked about the fear of the military academy. So I assumed that he had not been to a military academy yet, but yes, got kicked out of probably Bates. Um, but uh would have been a yeah. good opportunity to mention it. Like just got kicked out of Bates. Like, you know, reminds us of Bates. That's all. I yes. Want. Yes. Why? Why wouldn't you? And what was the name of the school? He said he might have to go to Jonathan Haig. He, he mentions a school by name. Yeah, he does. He does. And it does have a weird name. And it was like you could have mentioned Stone or anything. I don't know. Or, David, or, forgive me. Can you look up? Because I wondered if that was a joke and I meant to Google that name. Oh, 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 that's it. He says, besides, it's either this or the Alexander Haig Military Academy. Yeah, Alexander Haig was the Secretary of State under Reagan and White House Chief of Staff under Nixon and Ford. Four-star general in the U.S. Army. Okay, so it's almost like a patent joke, kind exactly, of. Exactly, yeah. But but it, it was a current, <laughs> timely patent joke. It was more modern and hip for the kids uh. in 1988. So it was too smart for the room, I think. And he kind of threw it away. I, well, yeah. no, he did. He, he, well, he gave it the way it should have been given. Yeah. <laughs> he mm -hmm. gave it the weight it should have gotten. Yeah. So the next scene is uh, what we learn, an emergency meeting of the board. It's Mr. Payne, two other dour-faced men, and this tight, buttoned-up woman with glasses. And they do have a little more to say that is cut from syndication, but all it does is just... You hear them talking in voice tones like this. Well, I don't know why we have to do this. It's like, it's basically just saying all of them are dry as paint. No. That's literally all it does. Yes, their outfits are all like muted. Like it almost, the screen looks sepia toned when it's on the three of them. And then when it cuts to Blair, it's like boink color. Mm -hmm. Super conservative trying to draw uh, the fact that Blair is definitely going to be a, a youthful voice, a new voice of change. So they say the enrollment for the summer semester is very low. What are they going to do? We've got to get more students. And what do you plan to do about that, Ms. Warner? At which point she says, any students, you say. And they're like, yep, whoever they are, as long as they can pay. And Blair, who's just got this idea from Seth Green, is like, boys, boys. we're going to enroll boys. The school is going to go co-ed. And they go, what? <laughs> 
And she says, you got a better idea, bitches? And they're like, nope. Okay. How did they go? What? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. This is another time that people just turn and and give up so irrationally quickly. Like, but years of tradition, I think the woman says. And uh, and then just like, what else are you going to do? And they're all like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what well, we the scene we have to end the scene we got a lot to cover here so, there's this this queen 35 years down the road is going to give us a lot of wide berth for the amount of whimsy in this episode so we can just you know do whatever the fuck we want so with that there's a lot of scenes in this show they cover a lot of ground the next scene we're back blair at the office, she's trying to interview another headmaster, and they try to do a joke that he used to run an obedience school, and that joke falls deadly flat. Does not work. The stay is almost kind of funny, but the heel is just dead on arrival. No, it is crickets. Not even They didn't even feel the need to put the laugh track in there. So then Joe shows up. I have in my notes. Remember Joe? because <laughs> we've been we've seen a lot of fucking people between the last time we saw joe at the beginning of the episode it was nice to see her her hair is terrible i'm sure you've discussed this at some point but the the like of course it's terrible for a million different reasons but the reason i would like to highlight is whatever is going <laughs> on around her boob area where like it goes over her shoulder and then looks like it was like flat ironed or like it was run over by a truck alongside like a possum. I would and... say run through the blender. It looks so frizzy and it's, disheveled. It's like Elvira. If Elvira's wig was in her like backpack and she traveled through Europe and then somebody was like, be Elvira quick. And she's like, okay. It just threw it on. Yeah. That is exactly. Why that scenario came to mind. That's exactly the name that came to my mind when you started talking about it. I was like, it, she's to the point where it looks like Elvira's hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah but, like, was... but like Elvira's hair that wasn't taken care of. Yeah, yeah it is ratted because we get a good view of her from the back as well. And I'm like, Jesus, that how long was her hair? Because it is ratted and high. Mm -hmm. So how long when she washed her hair, It she probably looked like Crystal Gale. <laughs> Probably, probably. It is nice to see them together. And then we have a little conflict with the students. This is where we meet Sarah. Sarah, we have not seen before. Uh, she and Mayim Bialik come in with a conflict because Mayim is playing trumpet and it's disrupting Sarah and her studies. They are roommates. Later next week, we realize that Juliette Lewis and Ashley, the bitchy, awful, um, what am I trying to say? Cunt oh. of the students. Uh, that we meet in the next scene, they are roommates also, but Mayim still got the fake boobs and they're still crooked. I think that they think that's a funny visual joke. And... I mean, at this point, it's a little demented and sad. And Sarah is the Nancy of this cast. Um... In that they gave zero fucks about character development or anything. They were just like, and then there's another one. Well, next week, we're going to find Sarah is a little more naive than the others 
In contrast oh, to Juliette okay. Lewis and and the Ashley Bitchy girl, Sarah is kind of the tag along. She's kind of more of the the Cindy or the Sue Ann. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, there that's is. Fair. You're that's right. Fair. You are correct that there is no character here. We don't. But that doesn't start to happen until next week. Blair came off super duper dumb in this scene, and it wasn't oh. until the end of it when she comes up with the solution, which is not a solution at all. It's take off your boob socks and put them in your horn, and you go study. It's like that. that no, you haven't solved anything at all. And then Joe's like. It's like you just sell things. And I'm like, bullshit. Not really. But Blair did need a win. I wish they had written her a better win than this. Yes, she did. That... The plot dictated that she needed to successfully have that moment. And so it was so shakily done that even as they're leaving, one of them is like, she's pretty cool. Yeah, let's go uh, egg her car or whatever they said. Yeah. So it was like, <laughs> we haven't. We we're we're exactly where we are, but they had to tell us at the end. Ah, we think she's a little bit cooler now than we did before because she yelled at us. But we're still gonna fuck with her. That pointless. And then we move on to the final scene of the episode. It's a long scene or longer scene, <laughs> but this is where we finally are back in the Eastland dormitory. And let me tell you, I have only one laugh in this whole episode from watching it three times. I laughed every single time. What was it? And I don't know. I might like it less if you tell me that there was some kind of setup that that was put cut out of the episode. That, But when Blair tells Juliet Lewis she likes her sweater and Juliet Lewis looks at her with disgust and goes, there's a hole in it. I thought that was <laughs> so funny and weird and classic Juliet Lewis. And that was that was that was my biggest laugh of the whole episode. That was not attached to anything else that was missing or there. It was it was what it was. And that's funny. I don't even remember that. Isn't that terrible? I was paying attention to so many other things. It was just like, oh, like your sweater. There's a hole in it. She <sighs> just like walks away. And that's the end of it. It was so <laughs> weird. Well, the exterior shot of the Eastland dorm. Did we ever see an exterior shot by night? Because this is a nighttime shot. It is clearly the same exterior that we always saw in season one. It is that building without question. Pomona College in beautiful Claremont, California. And I'm like, did we ever see it at night? And it wasn't a, a doctored, you know, retouched type of thing. If they used it, I don't remember. Do you remember them ever using an exterior evening I can't think of one. I can't. I'm, I started thinking of it the minute you said it. And I thought about some of the... They might have. I'll look back. I'll, I'll skim the first 13 episodes to see if I can find it. Hey, guys. Sorry if you're screaming at your podcatcher or yelling at the radio in your car at me. I did go back and look, and of course they used the exterior evening shot of the dorms in season one. I found it in Emily Dickinson. I found it in Sex Education, and they even doctored it up with rain for Flash Flood. So, sorry about the confusion. So then we're in the interior set. So this is going to be a big major set piece for this new sitcom that they're trying to backdoor pilot spinoff. Uh, it looks a lot like an Eastland dorm. It's not the same one that 
they used to live in back in season one. Uh, but that's okay. We know there were other dorms. Remember Tumpy and Emily? Emily, Helen Hunt, in the episode called Dope. They lived in a different dorm. Remember, they said, Mrs. Garrett, everyone loves you here. Come on over and be our den mother over there. So that did not bother me that this set doesn't, quote unquote, match the season one set. It's actually perfectly okay because uh, it actually serves the show better to have the two staircases coming down uh, with what is coming with the with the boys arriving. This is where they're starting to introduce us to the kid characters. This is where we're spending some time and getting some interpersonal interactions here with Sarah. Pippa shows up with Blair, so we do know that Pippa is going to maybe be a part of this or not. Uh, and, of course, Ashley is there, and Ashley is being a fucking bitch. Rude. Just absolutely rude. Mocking Pippa's accent to her face. Yeah. And then calling Blair old enough to be Pippa's mom. It was just like a double slap in the face simultaneously. Outrageous. Yeah. Ashley's on my shit list with that teacher. Yeah. I was okay with her kind of being mean to Pippa. Yeah. If she had punched Pippa, we would have been like, you know, Pippa was kind of asking for it. Yeah. Yeah. But when she turns to our beloved Blair, that is when I take issue. Yes. When she turns to Blair and is like, oh, my dad, your banker, and he's on the board. Yeah, that's right. He was telling me about your situation. You know, we're going to get along fine because my father hates it when I'm unhappy. And whenever that happens, he always finds out. Oh, bitch, no, you do not. I took issue more when she goes, so you have to be nice to me. And Blair had no comeback yeah. for her. Yeah, like Blair, mm-hmm. you're the Didn't she say like, She's... "Oh, that's funny because I wasn't planning to otherwise." So I'm glad that she told me it was something like that, right? Yeah, but I I just wanted Blair to be like, "Look, bitch." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I will I, be nice to you. <laughs> I fought worse monsters than you in Hollywood. This ain't my first time at the rodeo. Yeah. I needed something from Blair to put that little bitch in her place. And I get it. 80 sitcom. We're setting up for Blair to have to be subservient to a bitchy girl. I get it. But mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. At one point, Blair does finally say to Mr. Mitchell, look, you know, if you don't like what's going on here, you can leave. He goes, got a contract. Is that what he says? I couldn't remember. But then he does say he thinks the school could be better and he does kind of want to be a part of it. And it's like, well, then why are you being such a misogynistic, horny asshole to the woman who's in the position of power that can make that happen? That doesn't make sense. It's a different time and women didn't matter no matter how many schools they owned. This is 1988, Dominic. We have a thing now called women's live, and it means girls get to do whatever they want. Not around this guy. (laughs) So this is the point when Blair basically says, I'm not looking for another headmaster now. It is going to be me. And then the boys all come in. And we do have a boy. God, if you thought Seth Green's last name was weird, the other boy, the one with the sort of moppy dark brown hair, his character's name is Belden Glover. Belden, like Sheldon with a B. I like that name. That's pretty cool. I'd name my kid Belden. But what, what do you call him for short? Sure? Call him Belly? 
Yeah, sure. Bell. <laughs> or calm down. I, I, I mean, have you never heard of Bell Biv DeVoe? Is oh, but okay. Is Bell is that Belden Biv DeVoe? I believe it, is. it has to be right. Yeah, <laughs> I, valid point. I don't think it could be anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then, I I stand corrected. Belden is apparently an awesome name. Belden Beverly and DeVosberg. <laughs> Devoskovich or something. Devoskovich, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so with that, the boys show up, and Blair sends the boy. They're like, "Where are the where are where are rooms? Where do we go?" Blair's like, "They're upstairs," and off they go. Follow the smell of fish. No. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and so Blair is like, "Well, you know, here things are coming." And then this is where Mitchell, to continue being a dickbag, is like, well, I think I need to congratulate you and shakes her hand. And she says, really, why? He says, in 30 seconds, you've already managed to screw this up. You sent the boys upstairs to where the girls' bedrooms are. Whoa, wacky. And now this cut off on the the video that I watched, but I'm assuming the end credits are just like a big orgy up in the girls' dorms. (laughs) No. Seth Green comes running back down wearing nothing but panties and socks in his bra. <laughs> yeah, I got uncomfortable. Yeah, and but- we have more of this next week with we thought we thought it was fun sexualizing Andy. And it was. Seth Green, what a little fucking hornbag this kid is. Good lord. And I get it. I, again, I'm not looking for a lost explanation. They're different dorm rooms, but the the implication was six boys are going to save fucking Eastland. Right. We've got six boys now, yeah. and whoo, money problems are oh bah. Make it rain, Blair. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good for you. My thing is the final image, which is just Blair looking uncomfortable at this discovery while Mitchell looks on condescendingly my thought is why did it have to say to be continued they could have ended it there and i would have taken it to the next step is i would have had the girls all start screaming have this episode end with i think i might be able to make this work out after all or will i ah the screaming i would have had chaos ensue as the girls come running down the boys come running down and the screaming in there and them being like, Rotro, what have I done? There, you there know. you go. I would not but, have had a problem with that either. Okay. So we've come to the end of the episode, and I'm just gonna say this. Mm-hmm. All right. Never mind the backdoor pilot. Never mind that they wanted a Blair show where she's running the the, the show. And she's that and by the way, is that how you become headmaster of a of a private school? Just buy it and be like, I'm in charge now. Buy it and hire yourself. Yeah. I I didn't know how, I don't know how you become a headmaster of a school, but I would assume some sort of teaching board approval. Yeah. Anyway, but, um, but if, cause let's face it, the facts of life. And I think you'll agree is three separate sitcoms. Correct. With the same characters. You've got the Eastland years that are David's favorite. You got the, um, completely different um, Edna's Edibles years, which are my favorite. And Dominic, I believe you've said the over our heads is your era of facts of life. 
Um, I, I, I feel like Edna's Edibles is probably my favorite, but, but location-wise, Over Our Heads is my favorite location. To, okay. Just to okay. just to watch them in there, you know that there's like cookies over there and records over there. It's just fun. So I'm thinking, instead of a Blair spinoff, if they had just taken the show, retooled it like they've already done three times, to a season ten of Facts of Life, um, a huge missed opportunity where even little things like you know them the kids calling her old and she's twenty three that all that adds to the comedy. But but Blair is now poor the headmaster of the school, Joe could have been their guidance counselor. Oh, the first episode, Joe shows up. The community center closed. The community center you owned. Yeah, that you had to sell to get, a, it's going to be torn down and it's now going to be a tofu restaurant. Oh, <laughs> and, and Joe, so Joe becomes the guidance counselor. Tootie shows up and she's going to be the drama teacher. Beverly Ann gets rid of as much as I would hate to get rid of Kathleen Freeman. Beverly Ann is the secretary and Andy and goes to Eastland. Oh my God, you're totally right. He gets a free ride because Beverly Ann's an employee. And the only person that way, the only spinoff we've got is Natalie's spinoff. And I'm happy because I can watch Natalie's show like Dominic and I said we would. And I still get my facts of life season 10. I'm down with that. From your mouth to God's ears in our time machine. That's going in the time machine for me. Fuck to the yes. Because would I watch this show? That's the big question at the end of every episode of season nine, Dominic. Would I watch this show? And I think the kids would ruin it for me. Yeah, yeah. They are already setting up another show making all of the same mistakes that they made in season one. There's already too many people. There were already too many girls. Ding. With the boys, it's already too much. It's a get, It's overboard. It is. And I agree with that. And then the faculty, too much. And a yeah. little spoiler alert, next week, we return to the Chuggalug. Ooh. Piggybacking everything you said, Matthew, nothing that happens in the next episode, the final episode, the conclusion of this series for nine years, nothing that happens indicates anything better or any improvements are going to be built on this framework that we've been served this week. In fact, we get a, a very strong sense that it's going to be a lot more of the same crap. Well, what did you think of this, Dominic? What was your... Yeah, final thoughts. This is a shameful way for these characters to go out after nine years of service. Um, I, I mean, we did get a uh, reunion TV movie. And of course, there will always be You Light Up My Christmas. We definitely deserved better. Our girls deserved better. And it's a crying shame that they lost sight of wrapping up what they had because they were so fixated on the next thing and what they were trying to make. And and not doing a very good job with it. Yeah. Well, Dominic, I'm so glad we connected. We, we've used you a lot in a very short period of time, uh, having you here as a guest to comment as a fellow uh, fanatic of the facts of life. I always encourage people to go and listen to the facts of facts. Your podcast where you and your friend Britt go through the episodes. 
still on hiatus. I hope you guys are able to finish it and the two of you are able to discuss this in your own way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't wait to revisit this episode again and have more things to say about it because it's just so full of things to talk about. <laughs> the last thing I'm going to say about this episode, because I think she deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um, when Kathleen Freeman died. Yes. This woman who had been in The Nutty Professor, for God's sake, who had been a Hollywood legend. In Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain on Lucy's show. Um, when she died, British newspapers <laughs> mentioned her longtime companion, Helen Ramsey, but American papers did not. Oh. So I just wanted to mention that woman. The, she, uh, was, she was L- a lesbian. Yes. Lesbian. For no other purpose than to just let everybody know they were even around back then. <laughs> so she was like the first, right? <laughs> yeah, there were no lesbians before Kathleen Freeman. I did not yeah. know that. I, I totally missed that about her. I did not know that she was she was a queer performer in her generation. Good for her. She had a long-term partner. That's all. That's great. Thank you for that. So next week, guys, the final episode the last of it. I cannot believe we're here. I do not. It. It. I cannot believe we've been doing this for four and a half years now. But season nine, episode 24, the beginning of the beginning, which had an original air date of May 7th, 1988. Dominic, thank you so much for doing this, for coming on the show. As uh, Is this now, let me think, season nine, is this, this your fourth episode in season, in one season? Wow, that is quite some, that's an achievement. I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. That's I'm great. honored to have been invited. Uh, I really appreciated the opportunity to talk about this season, and uh, and I had a blast doing it. Well, we will definitely be inviting you back for some future chats on the next show, TV Talkaholics. It'll probably be a monthly show uh, by the time the end of the year rolls around and we uh, release all of the back catalog this is not the last time you'll be seeing our faces on your Zoom screen, but until that next time, smooches and goodbye. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. And remember, the facts of life are all about hooters. <laughs> there it is. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and Edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.